Welcome back to the AWB COVID-19 Employer Resources Webinar Series, presented by Kaiser Permanente. Today, AWB President Chris Johnson invites experts from the hospitality industry to talk about the safe and smooth reopening of restaurants in Phase 2. He's joined by Pam Kant, Consultant Program Operations Manager with the Washington State Department of Labor and Industries, Chris Knutson, Owner-Director of Operations at the Olympia and Lacey Casamia locations, and Well Lady Brewhouse, Lacey Fahrenbach, COVID-19 Response Agency Administrator with the Washington State Department of Health, and Susan Stahlfeld, partner at Miller, Nash, Graham & Dunn, LLP. Good morning. I'm Chris Johnson, President and CEO of the Association of Washington Business. Welcome on in to this week's webinar. Today, we feature both a new date and a new time of day that we're hosting uh, these webinars on. So please uh, plan these to be on your calendar on Wednesdays going forward at 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and we're able to offer this type of program, and thanks to the, the generous support of folks like Kaiser Permanente, who are making this webinar available for all Washingtonians, regardless of where they live in, in the state of Washington. So thank you, Kaiser Permanente, for being with us uh, on this journey this morning. If you didn't have a chance to see what we announced yesterday, and I'll talk a little bit more about it later in our webinar series, we launched at reboundandrecovery.org, the word and spelled out, reboundandrecovery.org, uh, a two-part really important portal for your use. One, to help small businesses navigate the returning to work process. And what does that toolkit look like? That's on the far right-hand side of the header that's on the screen in front of you. And the second is to know that PPE is going to be part of our everyday lives uh, going forward until there's a vaccine. And so we're able to match make Washington employers who make PPE with Washington companies who want to purchase PPE. And this is a really critical and important tool to helping us all give confidence to our employees and to our customers and to our consumers of our products. So again, a, a, a fabulous tool. I went live yesterday. I think we had significant hundreds of activities on this website, and it gives you the ability to help source PPE locally. So made in Washington by Washingtonians for Washingtonians. So a little bit more on that as we get into the program today. We have a great lineup of speakers once again this week. Uh, they feature Pam Kant, who's with the Washington Department of Labor and Industries. Chris Knudsen, owner and director of operations for the Olympia restaurants of Casamia and for Lacey Casamia and Well 80 Brewhouse. Uh, Lacey Fahrenbach, who is with the Washington State Department of Health, and Susan Stahlfeld, partner with Miller, Nash, Graham, and Dunn. A reminder, like we do every week, you have an opportunity to help set the dialogue with the questions you would like to have asked. And so go to that right-hand corner screen of the GoToMeeting app, located about right here, Insert your question there. Please let us know who your question is for, or if it's for everyone, please note that as well. We already have questions coming in for our panelists today. And if you missed today's webinar, or more importantly, you want to share a piece of information or a fact with someone from this today, a reminder that this will be re-aired tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. on the AWB Facebook page. Simply go there, press the like button. So without further ado, let's get started this morning. Again, our, our first dynamic speaker with us this morning is Pam Kant. She's the operations manager for the Washington State Department of Labor and Industries. Uh, she administers the WISHA program, and they work to conduct about 2,500 free on-site safety and health consultations annually for employers who request their help to comply with the rules of their unique workplaces. And with that, Pam, I hope you can hear me. Welcome on in today's webinar. You lead it off this morning. Take it away, Pam. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so really happy to be here. Um, uh, 
where the program that I, I'm, I belong to at LNI is our consultation program. So what we do is we provide a consultation and safety and health to employers so that you guys can best get into compliance uh, with all the rules that uh, apply to uh, your workplaces and worker safety and health. Uh, today, I'm going to talk to you about the COVID-19, um, specifically the proclamation by the governor for the phase two and uh, what uh, we can provide and kind of how we're looking at the enforcement of it, as well as uh, some of the, the larger questions we've been getting uh, throughout the last few weeks, especially for uh, restaurants coming into to getting into the phase two. So I would say that, you know, what we're expecting employers to do, and I don't know if you guys can put the screen up for the phase two document. Um, this is kind of what we're, we'll be looking at. If you go down to the employer section there, uh, we have been tasked and there's a new emergency rule out. Uh, I don't know if you, everybody's seen it. Um, if you guys could go down to the employer part, uh, I think it's one page down. Right, so thank you so much. Um, so we've been tasked to enforce this proclamation uh, and the employer part of this. And what that really, what that means to you is um, in the state of Washington, we have what we call uh, in rule, in regulation and accident prevention program. And most of you probably call it your safety plan. Um, and so that they're interchangeable. Uh, what you'll be doing is you're gonna take this proclamation and these bullet points and you'll be pulling it, putting them into a written policy that would be a part of your safety plan or your accident prevention program. Uh, what you really need to focus on here is educating your workers on um, COVID-19, the signs, symptoms, and how it's transmitted, uh, maintaining that social distance, uh, how you're gonna do that in your business, um, increasing your cleaning schedule, uh, the, uh, increasing the frequency of hand washing, as well as uh, you know the giving them PPE, and so, you know, what we can do in consultation for you is we can look at your plans. We've looked at several folks' plans so far. And so as you put them together and you want someone to review to make sure that you've hit these points, uh, please feel free to email us or give us a call. Um, I'm, I'm hopefully my uh, name and number is attached to this. So if you, if you can't find somebody in LNI that you can get a direct contact, please uh, give me the call or the email. Uh, so, with all that being said, and I know it's a lot, but you know, really your guys' industry kind of already does quite a bit of hand washing and cleaning. You're just gonna up your frequency from what you've been doing. Uh, you know, a thing that might be a little bit different is you're probably not wiping off your ATM machines or your pins, that kind of stuff. So you're gonna have to think a little bit about how you're gonna do that kind of uh, cleansing. So, uh, and also, you know, there you do need to put a sign up that says that customers should encourage to wear um, masks when they come in. So there's quite a bit in those points. Um, what I would tell you is that the number two questions we've really been getting from everybody is, and this is all industries, are you required to provide the cloth face mask, which is required to wear by all employees? And the answer is yes. You are required to provide that uh, face mask. What I would say is that, you know, you can uh, have employees bring theirs if you're comfortable with an employee bringing their face mask and wearing what they deemed, uh, you know, appropriate. But you might want to, you know, just be careful because there's all kinds of face masks out there. And depending on what you want your, you know, what, how you want to represent yourself, you know, employees could bring, you know, like the skull and the, face, the skull face mask that might not be what you want in your establishment. Uh, however, you do have to provide them, and so you'll have to, uh, they can also be the, the um, 
the the paper uh, like the surgical masks you can have those and one of the reasons you might want to think about having those is if you're working in and it's hot and you want you need to change your masks out because they're getting too wet uh, you might want to think about the paper a little bit easier uh, to they'll probably last a little longer than cloth face masks and then the other second big question that we've been getting is how do you monitor your employees um, so really, if you can find a way, there's a lot of uh, like those thermometers out there that you can take somebody's temperature without actually touching them. Um, if you can find one, I think that might be hard. Um, that's probably the best way is you would have, uh, you know, taking their temperature daily as they come in and asking them questions of how they feel. Um, you don't have to do that. That's probably the best practice. If you can't find uh, those thermometers, I, I would say do a checklist um, and you could even have them sign the checklist and you can keep it throughout the phases. But, you know, also that's just a recommendation. But you do need to ask them every day how, you know, how they're feeling uh, as they come in. Uh, and then the third last thing I wanted to talk about is how we're going to enforce this. Uh, so really, you know, a lot of what we'll be doing is, uh, you know, if someone calls to complain, we're likely just going to call you. Uh, the employer and talk to you about what the issues are. Uh, and then, you know, if you can send us back that you can resolve that issue, then we we would not be coming to your place. If, um, you know, we're getting several calls from your place for the same issue and we can't seem to get it corrected, we'd probably then come out to your establishment. Um, in phase one, we close businesses um, if they could not uh, meet all the requirements and, and the proclamation. I'm assuming uh, that is going to be the same in this phase. So if you cannot meet those, which I think you're going to be able to, they're pretty simple and they're stuff you already do. Um, if you can't meet those, then we we would be able to close you down until you can meet them. So really, um, we're not looking to close anybody down. We would rather you yeah, give consultation, call me, or you know, um, be able to fix it pretty much right away. So uh, you know, the other part is that uh, there is. I don't know if you're uh, this, uh, the AWB is going to put together uh, a, like a sample program, but there are quite a bit of sample programs on how to put your uh, policy together. So I would encourage you to look at those. Elle and I will have some up as soon as we can. So, and with that, does anybody have any questions for me? Pam, uh, Pam you did a great job of plugging the reboundandrecovery.org website for me relative to all the tools and features that are there to help guide small businesses as they go through the reopening process here this morning. Hey, the first question in for you this morning is, what, what could be the average expected turnaround time uh, that an employer should expect to have when they turn in their, their plan to you? Is it, are we talking days, weeks? Kind of give a sense of what the average turnaround time is to respond to a safety plan there. Uh, so it, it does depend on if the plan's pretty good and already ready to go, you're going to get you probably within a few hours. Uh, we're looking to try to get everything done within 24 hours to get everybody's review done. If you're a really big establishment and you have quite a bit in your plan, it might be a few days. Uh, we're not looking at any more than four days. Uh, that's the, the, the latest. And that would only be, we'd be in contact with you because there'd be things to fix. So really, we're looking at 24 hours is probably going to be our average Time to get your review back. Thank you, Pam. Uh, I want to remind you to stay here for the lightning round at the end of the program. Uh, we have questions coming in, so we'll be back to you here uh, at the end, Pam. Thank you for being with us so far this morning. Up next, our next speaker is Chris Knudsen. He is the owner and director of operations for Casamia and the Lacey Casamia as well as Wellhouse 80 Brewhouse. 
I love their product, by the way. I go there quite often. So, uh, Chris, thank you for joining us today. I, you come from a family-owned operation. Your father, Bob, bought into the restaurant, I think, in about 1982. Uh, you opened Well 80 Brewhouse maybe two two years ago, 24, 36 months ago or so. So, uh, thank you for joining us today. I'm going to turn it over to you to talk about the experiences that you're seeing as, as a restaurant tour in the state of Washington. Welcome in, Chris. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, what a crazy, unprecedented time that we're uh, that we're living in right now. Um, uh, Pam, that was a lot of great information. Even uh, you know, for me, I, I I feel like a a novice, like probably most people do when, when coming to this sort of thing. So that was that was great. I appreciate all that information that you provided with us. Um, I put together a, a little a, a quick little PowerPoint where we can um, with, with some things that we could touch on there. Um, uh, like was mentioned, uh, my name's Chris. I uh, am one of the owners and uh, operators of Co the two Casamias here in Olympia and Well 80 Brewhouse. Uh, and what I was going to focus on here today is is the uh, the logistics of just what we're planning on doing to reopen. Uh, right now, I'm I'm here at Well 80. Um, if, for those of you that have been here before, you'll recognize the billboard uh, behind me. Um, the, the the physical aspect of uh, the spacing that we're going to have to do is has been an uh, interesting challenge. Um, in, in our building, we have a fire code capacity of 201 people, um, and and for phase two, um, the regulation is we can open at 50% capacity. There's no way I can get to 100 people in here, which is it's fine. Um, I'm, I'm not that concerned with it. Our, our main goal is um, safety and comfort of our staff and our guests. So we're going to probably be more at like a 30% capacity because that's about the most we can do to be able to maintain a six foot separation. Um, I will show you uh, quickly sort of how I've uh, spaced out our dining room here. So. There are tables over on this side. We used to have about seven tables over against that wall, and now we've got four. We used to have a bunch of tables in the middle here. They're gone. And here's, a, here's our booths. So we will be using every other booth. There's six feet between the booths. We'll be having four tables over here. We'll use one table right there, but not that one in the corner. And on the bar side, we're going to kind of do a similar thing as well. And I'm sorry, the phone's ringing. Hopefully, it's not too distracting. Uh, so the spacing has been uh, an interesting thing. We've we've just done what we can. Uh, most of our tables will be four tops. I think we're down from about 35 or 40 tables inside to mm, like 16, something like that. Um, with smaller capacity, we had a bunch of uh, eight top tables in here that we've just taken out because there's no point in having them right now. Um, let's see what's on the next slide there. Uh, so some of the steps we're taking, um, like I said, this is unprecedented. We don't really know how this is going to go, what to expect. One of the things we've talked about is delaying the open even after um, uh, the, the county's approved for phase two, just because we're afraid of an onslaught. And uh, I, I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but we might, we might just hold off for a couple of days. We're definitely going to limit our hours of operation. But anyway, uh, we're going to be cleaning, sanitizing, and cleaning nonstop. Um, we already started doing that before things were shut down. 
Uh, we're using a lot of this DC33, which is a product from Autochlor, one of our suppliers. Uh, it's a disinfectant um, that we've been using a lot of. Uh, we'll be going to one single-use menu per table, um, not one menu per person, one menu per table. We don't want to be wasting a ton of paper. Uh, I don't want to be printing 100 menus every day or more. Uh, so we'll, we'll be going to just one menu per table and throwing those out when we're done with them. I'm also going to set up QR codes so people can scan those codes that will link directly to our menu online. And then they can just swipe on their phones, uh, look at the menu that way. Uh, like I said, limited hours for seating. When we first open, I think we're going to go from 5 to 7 p.m. for seating. We're going to continue with to-go the way we've been doing it from noon to 7. But we're going to limit the hours uh, for seating. Uh, we're going to have one staff member that will handle that table the whole way through. There won't be food runners, anything like that. That one staff member will handle that table from start to finish. Uh, we've added additional sanitizer locations to a few different spots, and we're going to be adding more. We're going to have kind of a site host that will uh, help coordinate flow, limit the amount of people that come into the building, uh, keep them outside until it's their time to come in and take a table. And then we're adding signage and verbiage. And then we can go to the next slide. Uh, we are providing masks for staff. Here's uh, one example of uh, some masks I bought from, um, uh, from a local supplier. You can get them pretty much anywhere. There are uh, a lot of local groups that are making them for people. And, uh, and you can buy them from a lot of suppliers right now. Bargarino, like since a big one in the restaurant industry that you're all familiar with, I know they've got some uh, along with probably most every supplier right now. Uh, we're going to be doing a staff uh, temperature log. So I was able to get a bunch of these uh, no contact thermometers. They work pretty great from what I've seen so far. Um, I did buy a whole bunch of plexiglass on Amazon. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do with it yet, but we'll probably put it up in a few places where we feel like there is close contact between staff and guests or staff and staff or guests and guests. Um, <clears throat> One thing that we always do that we really want to emphasize is operating with kindness and compassion. This is a, a, a strange time and um, people, uh, nobody really understands it. But the one thing we can do is be kind to each other, have compassion for one another, and we're going to continue to try and do that. Uh, then we're going to, again, clean, sanitize, and clean. We're going to do that a lot. We have been doing that a lot and repeat those steps. Um, I don't know where my time is, but that's that's pretty much all I got. We're going to be just uh, resetting some things and doing what we can and holding it to a minimum. Well, thank you, Chris. I'm going to give you a prop here. You're the first speaker to take us on a mobile tour of anything in our six-week series. So, so thank you for doing that. You didn't trip over a chair or anything, so uh, <laughs> great job there. Uh, first question coming in, which I think uh, would be helpful to other restaurateurs and hospitality people who are on the webinar. The first question is asked, how did you determine uh, the 50% spacing piece? And then is there a tip or a best practice you learned as you went through it that you'd want to share with other hospitality leaders who are on this so they think about going through this similar process, uh, they can learn from how you did it? <clears throat> so for me, the 50% the was irrelevant. The, the first thing that I had to take into, into consideration was the physical limitation of six feet separation. So we went through that and we started to just sort of like a puzzle, 
figure out how we could space things six feet apart and then see where we could go. Um, and then after we were able to do that, we were able to determine what the capacity would be. Um, and at all of our locations, the capacities, all three locations, it's way less than 50%. We just, we can't physically get up to 50% by spacing everything uh, six feet apart. Um, so that's kind of how that worked out. Thanks, Chris. Uh, the next question is asking, are you checking the temperature of staff only, staff and, staff and customers, or just customers uh, as it comes to your restaurant? Not, not customers. Um, we won't be, we won't be checking the guests. We're just going to do a, a staff temperature log, um, we're, we're, at least for a while. Just, I, I think it's a, a level of comfort that we can give to the guests that we're doing that, um, and it's a level of comfort for our staff. That, I mean, it might, it might feel weird and invasive at first, but um, it's just going to be a, a company policy that we're just going to, you know, when you come in, somebody will. Hold the thermometer up to your forehead, and we'll just ride right down where you're at. If you're over 100, you're just not going to work that day. Thank you, Chris. Uh, stay with us for the lightning round. I think your parting message about kindness is so important right now. And as we go through this crisis, we can all use a little bit of kindness and a little bit of help. Uh, so thank you for all that you're doing to provide that as well. Stay with us for the lightning round, if you would, at the end. Sure. Uh, we're going to go to a part where you, where all of our participants that are on the webinar today get a chance to engage, and that's in our weekly survey here. Many restaurants and other businesses in the hospitality sector have had to make tough decisions around whether to stay open and to offer limited products and services or stay closed until a later phase. So we're asking participants today, uh, what has your course of action been and what do you plan to do uh, as your county is cleared to interface to along the way? So how are you preparing and what are you preparing to do as we go into phase two? As we think about phase two, it's a great reason why we launched www.reboundand, the word and, recovery.org. has two important parts that came up. You saw Chris just a minute ago showing the PP&E face mask that he had there. And again, uh, part of what is in the Rebound and Recovery portal is an opportunity for Washington companies, just like Casamia, to go and purchase needed PPE from Washington companies, so made in Washington. And ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, thinking about the kindness perspective there, it's about helping Washington men and women make a product that's important to all of us here. The matchmaking happens uh, pretty organically at the PPE portal website. So PPE is one process, and whether it's thermometers or face masks or shields or gloves or so many hand sanitizers or so many other products, you can find all of that at that PPE portal and be matchmaked. And then again, the opportunity to not only purchase made in Washington PPE, but to find locally produced PPE. The second part goes back to some stuff that Pam talked about relative to needing a toolkit of how do I reopen my business? And whether it's markers on the ground and, and we have uh, printable signs that you can print off to employee training videos, the social media and messaging, and again, those floor stickers. All of that can be found in an easy to use uh, toolkit on the EWB rebound and recovery.org. So two important tools for you to use as you think about reopening, all with the mind of two goals. How do we open as many businesses as possible, as quickly as possible, as safely as possible? And that safely possible item is really important as we need to give confidence to both our employees and our customers of our products. So again, you can find that at reboundandrecovery.org. So with that, we're going to go to the results of our survey, and they should be coming up on the screen right now. 
So 43, I'm sorry, 42% of the respondents says we are offering limited products and services and plan to reopen in phase two. 38% have said other, uh, that they're doing something other than what's uh, listed on the screen above here today. And 13% have said we have offered limited products and will wait to reopen. So again, thank you for participating in that survey with us today. Uh, up next, we have, uh, we have Lacey Fehrenbach. She is the Assistant Secretary, Prevention and Community Health Agency Administrator and COVID-19 Response for the State Department of Health. Internally, she works closely with division staff, other divisions, the Office of the Secretary, and Central Administration to fulfill this role. Externally, she partners with other state agencies, local health and key stakeholder groups to support the mission to protect and improve the health of all people in the state of Washington. With that, Lacey, welcome to today's webinar. Take it away. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm very grateful to be here with you today to share where we are in terms of balancing some return to public life and the many things that drive our economy and bring us the opportunity for personal connection while we mitigate the spread of coronavirus, COVID. Um, I want to really thank Chris for his comments and say that we know this is challenging for everyone. Um, we are definitely in unprecedented uh, times, very strange times. We're all learning uh, new things about this virus and how we live uh, with this virus. So really appreciate the innovation and flexibility and um, the association leaning in to support businesses as they um, deal with this challenge and come back online uh, in the weeks and months ahead of us. So um, as a state, we succeeded with our first goal in this pandemic to slow the spread and flatten the curve um, of coronavirus enough that we did not overwhelm our healthcare system and people who needed uh, a high level of care, whether it was for coronavirus or other reasons, would have the capacity, our, our healthcare system would have the capacity to provide them that care. Um, we do have a reduced incidence and prevalence in Washington state as compared to our peak at the end of March and beginning of April. Um, the spread has not slowed as much as we might um, like for it to, but we, we are um, seeing variation across the state and as you know, slowly reopening our state in a phased approach. The governor's safe state, safe start, excuse me, the governor's safe start approach allows counties with um, fewer than 10 new cases per 100,000 residents over 14 days um, to reopen additional sectors of public life a little more quickly uh, if they meet criteria um, and standards that are outlined on both uh, on coronavirus.wa.gov. Um, that threshold, that incidence threshold of 10 cases per 100,000 residents in two weeks comes from uh, national guidelines for safely reopening states um, from the US Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, counties have to meet criteria when, when they apply for a variance and they're is they have to demonstrate um, support from their public health leaders and their elected leaders. They have to show that their health systems have the capacity to address an increase in cases, and they have to have the public health response ca capacities necessary to contain potential outbreaks in their um, jurisdiction. 
So these are things like the ability to test everyone who needs a test, the ability to do robust case um, and contact tracing, and then to support people who need to isolate or quarantine themselves because they have coronavirus or they've been exposed. Um, as of the end of the day yesterday, there are 21 counties in Washington that are in phase two at this point. Um, I'm not going to list them all out, uh, but if people have questions, they can send them in the chat and I'll be glad to respond. You can also see them on the coronavirus.wa.gov site. Um, in addition, as you know, when, sec when, when counties come online, the sectors that are allowed in that phase must meet requirements outlined by the governor. And from a public health perspective, the requirements that are in these really focus on community mitigation efforts that consist of personal behaviors, physical distancing, and environmental measures that are right now the best tools we have to um, slow the spread of coronavirus. Um, these measures work by slowing the spread through two primary mechanisms. One is reducing the number of close contacts that um, an individual has, whether that person is an employee or customer. And then secondly, reducing the likelihood of transmission between people who are in the business at any given point in time. And until we have a vaccine, we're going to be using these committed community mitigation strategies. So, you know, in the guidelines um, and requirements for restaurants, you know, the recommendation to have hand sanitizer at the entry point is really a reminder that we all need to be washing our hands and uh, sanitizing our hands more frequently. Um, things like no bar seating and uh, limits of five people at a table really are to um, both avoid the number of close contacts you have and create um, space between contacts and parties. Uh, the reduced occupancy um, and six feet requirement, again, more physical distancing, things like recommending cloth face coverings when we're not eating um, is a way to help people not um, spread to others who might be in the business, your, your staff or others who are um, dining at their favorite restaurant. Um, and then things, you know, no salad bars or buffets, that's an environmental um, hygiene issue to reduce touching and breathing on food um, to the degree possible. So um, the other thing I wanted to quickly mention are the customer logs. Um, it's, it is voluntary for individuals to provide this information to you, but they could be really useful to your health agency. Um, if there is an outbreak uh, or a person who dines in your facility that learns later they have COVID, um, your local health department could reach out to you and use that log to notify um, your employees and customers about the potential exposure and um, talk to them about the risk, answer questions they have, provide them resources, uh, and you know really serve in that containment function for public health. So. Um, with, with that, I'm going to wrap up and just say we know that people are very anxious to get back to work. We know that people are anxious to get back to the new normal. You know, I am myself anxious to go eat at my favorite restaurants. Uh, and we just really appreciate your innovation and support um, and, and flexibility as we balance uh, our new normal and a return to public life while, while navigating this pandemic response over the months ahead. So thanks. Thank you, Lacey. Uh, I know that you're with us for a short period of time here, so I'm going to give you a couple of questions that have come in so far. The first one's regarding, hey, is there a simple place to go to to find a checklist 
uh, to guide us as we think about being compliant uh, with reopening like there is on the CDC website. So is there a quick place you could point people to for a checklist? So there's the CDC website and then um, the 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 checklist that I went through from the governor's requirements is on coronavirus.wa.gov and I'll be happy to send the direct link um, to Paulette after we wrap up here so that you can distribute it out. You're, there are also some resources. Um, there's not a restaurant specific resource, but there are lots of resources um, for your own personal uh, life and other other aspects um, on DOH's website, which is www.doh.wa.gov. The next question comes regarding, can you share some of the pro and cons of contract contact tracing through a reservation app? Uh, good question. Um, I, so I think from a, from a public health perspective, uh, what, what case investigators and contact tracers are looking for, um, is basically name and contact information, whether that's phone, ideally phone, um, email could work to, to reach out to people who might be close contacts of a case. So if, if that reservation system holds that information and the users of it are willing to share it with um, you and then in turn with public health, that could potentially also work. Um, I, I, that's not included in the governor's order um, but, uh, or uh, requirements, um, but that could be an option. Um, I think, you know, I, we want to be clear that contact tracing is uh, confidential. Um, participation in it is optional. We certainly hope that people participate in it. Um, and any information that public health gets, they consider protected and are only using it for the purposes of doing the outbreak investigation and informing people of their risk. Yeah. Next question for you, Lacey, is regarding kind of time and notification. Uh, restaurants seem to have to close fairly quickly uh, as we went in to stay at home, stay safe. What's your, uh, what are you guessing how much notice uh, restaurants will give when it comes time to reopening, i.e. the need to pull staff back in, make sure you have supplies in your restaurant and all? Is it days, hours, a week? What's your sense about how much time restaurants will have uh, when it comes time to reopening? So for reopening, uh, I think the the two things are monitoring your county's um, status. So are, is your county in phase two? Or if soon we might be looking at a few counties going to phase three. Um, and then the other piece is looking at the requirements. Um, and those are the governor's requirements. I think LNI also has some employer requirements and then the, you know, the question is how quickly can you get those things online once your county is approved to move into phase two um, when you are allowed to, to operate with some reduced capacity. So th there are already restaurants open in some counties, I, I'm pretty confident. <laughs> um, and then in terms of, I, a lot of people do ask also about, you know, what if we have to go back? Um, I, I think, you know, the notice is, I don't know that it would all be statewide. It could be county level or regional, but it, it, it will step back probably pretty quickly 
Lacey, I want to thank you for joining us. I know you're on a, a time constraint today. Uh, there's some more questions coming in. We'll make sure we get them off to you so you have a chance to, to answer those. And I think you shared a couple of links that we'll be getting to Paulette so that we can share back out. Great, thanks. And I, I actually can stay on till 10. I just can't stay on past 10. That was, okay. I'm sorry if that was unclear. <laughs> Great, stay with us for the lightning round. Then we have one more speaker to go and then we'll be back for lightning round questions. Uh, our last speaker today, uh, is Susan Stahlfeld. She's again a partner with Miller, Nash, Graham, and Dunn. Uh, most importantly, she leads their employment law and labor relation practice group. So, Susan, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, there's already uh, four or five questions coming in for you here before we get started this morning. So, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Welcome into the AWB webinar series. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, I do have some PowerPoints. If you could put the first screen up, please. So, that's got our website um, in kind of in response to the last set of questions where there are some uh, checklists or information, we have a lot of information on our website uh, at our COVID response page. Everyone's welcome to go there and, and check out the resources that we have. Um, it, it, that would include uh, both in, you know, as employers, but also uh, various other different business resources there. So uh, the next screen, please. Pam talked at the very beginning about the requirements on the government governor's order uh, for reopening of the restaurants. And she mentioned, she went walked through some of those specific safety uh, steps that are at the bullet points. I wanna mention a couple of other things. The order does require that employers in the hospitality industry uh, appoint a site-specific COVID-19 supervisor. So someone at each site who is going to be the person who's responsible for monitoring the health of employees, doing that temperature check and making sure that um, they aren't exhibiting any symptoms, and also to enforce that uh, safety plan, which Pam also mentioned, uh, to make sure that all those steps are being taken. Um, and so that is something I wanted to mention to you, just start thinking about who you're going to have at each site uh, when the time comes to uh, reopen. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, any time, as is the case anywhere in the workplace, a worker may refuse to perform hazardous work, and that would include under a COVID-19 related situation. It's very important that employers, of course, do not retaliate against uh, any employee who raises a safety concern. You know, I know you all know that already. Uh, what I want to point out, though, uh, is uh, if uh, co-workers start giving uh, someone a hard time for raising safety concerns, uh, it's important that if the employer knows about that, they step in and take actions, uh, and that would also uh, stop that being a retaliation or harassment situation. But what do you do if an employee is refusing to work because of alleged unsafe conditions related to the COVID-19? Uh, under our regulations, uh, an employee who has uh, a good faith response to a hazardous condition uh, can refuse to perform uh, work and their job would be protected. Now, what is what does all that mean? You have to take a look at the situation and if a reasonable person in those circumstances has an apprehension of death or serious injury, they may refuse uh, to perform the work. There are multiple factors that go into considering whether or not that standard is met. That's a pretty high standard. Um, for example, one of the questions is, has the employee raised issues with the employer before about a specific practice not being safe uh, and whether the employer has taken steps, not taken steps, uh, various other different 
uh, factors that go in. If you have a situation like that, I would suggest that you consult with your attorney about what actions you can or cannot take. Um, but as a general basis, if you are complying with the governor's uh, order on reopening and, and all of those safety steps and with the safety plan that Pam was talking about, uh, it is it's probable that the employee is not going to be able to um, meet that high standard. The only exception might be if they're a high-risk employee. Uh, and can we go to the next slide, please? So what are the high-risk employees? I don't know if you remember, but previously the governor issued an order giving protections to high-risk employees. That order is currently still in effect until June 12th, but it may, uh, and I would expect it to be expanded beyond that as we continue with the reopening. A high-risk employee is an individual who is 65 years of age or older, or an individual who has a chronic underlying medical condition. And I want to point out the or, they don't have to have both of those categories to be a high-risk employee. If you have a high-risk employee, you must accommodate them, and everyone is pretty familiar with reasonable accommodation. The term used in the governor's order is feasible accommodation. Uh, it's uh, we didn't get a lot of more guidance than that, but it's certainly at least at the level of the reasonable accommodation and maybe a little bit more. Uh, the very first thing that you're supposed to do is look to an alternative work assignment. So perhaps you have an employee who normally is in a very customer facing position, uh, but they are concerned, they're a high risk employee, they're concerned about uh, having contact with uh, the public who may or may not be wearing face masks. Um, is there another assignment that you can give them to perform work where they would not be out there with that customer facing uh, position? So that's step one. Is there all an alternative work assignment? Could be a different schedule to work as well. If there is no alternative work assignment that uh, would meet that individual's needs, then the individual has the right to use either employer granted leave or unemployment insurance benefits. You know, I want to point out that uh, the um, uh, end of the proclamation makes it very clear that to the greatest extent possible, all the prohibitions in the proclamation, that is, you must allow them to, to work, you must accommodate them, uh, you must allow them to use unemployment benefits if that's not if another alternative is not available. Uh, all of those are to uh, in place to protect the employee's position, loss of employment benefits, and also protect them against retaliation. The proclamation does allow you to hire a temporary replacement uh, employee as long as the high-risk employee's position is protected. Next screen, please. Some other things to keep in mind as you move forward with uh, reopening. With your employees, did you keep them as employees and put them on standby, or did you actually sever the employment relationship entirely? If you sever the employment relationship entirely and you have an employee who is working uh, under an authorized work situation as opposed to being a, a citizen, you may have to go back and recheck their I-9s verification documentation. Uh, the United States uh, immigration uh, status has information on when, when and how you would need to do that. You might also consider having people resign or affirm in writing handbook acknowledgments, uh, any important policy that you want to make sure they're aware of uh, and that they're continuing to comply with. 
Uh, just a reminder uh, that that's um, something that they uh, are still, that's still in effect, even in COVID-19 times, but all of those things still apply. You also wanna make sure you check your bulletin boards. Do you have all of the required notices up on your bulletin boards for your employees? This is just standard employment practices, but those kinds of things can be easy uh, to overlook in, a, in these current times. Remember too, if the employee is returning to work and had unused paid sick and safe time, that time gets reinstated for their use for all of the reasons set forth in the um, paid sick leave laws. And also, and I don't have this on the screen, but you might remember that uh, initially the federal government passed the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act, which included emergency paid sick leave for reasons very similar to what our state requires for the paid sick and safe leave, and also an emergency family medical leave. Those two leaves apply to any employer with fewer than 500 employees. So even as you reopen, you may have some situations where an employee has the right to use those leaves as well. Don't overlook those possibilities if a situation comes up. And then uh, one final point I want to mention, uh, it's going to be uh, interesting as we reopen. We don't know how much, uh, uh, how fast things are going to go, uh, all the different issues that might come up. Remind your supervisors and remind your employees that all of the timekeeping rules keep accurate time, record your time, all of the required rest breaks and meal breaks, all those rules are still in place. And let's make sure that we uh, don't create some other problems as we try to comply with the COVID-19 problems. And that's uh, what I had to talk with and I'm happy to take some questions. Thank you, Susan. Uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, two questions coming in for you this morning. The first is regarding an employer who said they've had two employees volunteer, voluntarily quit, and are they required to replace them since they took uh, received funds under the PPP program? So the question is, are they required to replace them since they uh, took since they received PPP funding? Can you verify? So the PPE loans, which uh, for those uh, uh, for everyone else, the CARES Act, which was the second major bill that was passed in Congress, included. Uh, payroll protection uh, of employees. I'm not sure I've got my initials right on that, but it's loans to small businesses, uh, which um, were for the purpose of keeping people employed. And it does have a requirement that certain payroll levels be met by June 30th. Doesn't have to be the exact same employees. It's the same headcount. Uh, and of the money in that loan, 75% of that money must be used for payroll purposes, which are the actual payment to the employees and a, a portion of uh, employee health benefits. They have to be used up within the eight weeks immediately after the loan was obtained. You do have to have certain levels of returning people to employees. However, we are seeing guidance come out on a regular basis uh, from the U.S. Department of Labor, which talks about um, uh, if an employee refuses to return to work, you don't have to replace them. Uh, we have a lot of, of those kind of questions answered on our website, and I, I don't want to spend a lot more time on it here right now. Certainly, uh, if you have particular questions, let me know, and I'll have someone get back to you on the, on the answers, or check our website, because a lot of that information is there. Susan, what is clear is that we still live in acronym soup, PPP, PPE, EIDL, CARES. Oh, uh, did I go into the wrong thing? Soup. I'm sorry. 
No, no, you're good. I'm just saying we continue to live in acronym soup even in, even in this pandemic and crisis. Uh, right. Back on a serious note, uh, one of the attendees in today's program says, hey, I heard on another company's webinar yesterday that the health questions we're supposed to ask employees uh, invade their privacy. Uh, how do we handle that? Are we invading their privacy by asking them the health questions? Uh, that is a potential problem. The, uh, however, the EEOC and uh, the U.S. Department of Labor uh, have given guidelines that for these particular questions, you can ask them. Uh, I do want to point out, um, Chris mentioned earlier that they were going to be keeping a log of employees' temperatures. That, that is medical records that needs to be kept under lock and key when they're done. Uh, access to those need to be limited because that is potentially an invasion of privacy. Um, with regard to asking the employees questions, uh, you don't, I, I don't think you need to get too detailed in the questions. I think you need to say, here are the symptoms of COVID-19. Have you, do you, have you had any of those symptoms in the last 24 hours if they're returning to work? Do you have those symptoms now? And including with that, are you running a temperature? Um, it can invade privacy, keep those records uh, under lock and key. Don't share the information uh, with other employees um, only with need to know basis uh, and take all the steps necessary to protect their privacy, yes. Thank you, Susan. Uh, great job. Great job by all of our panelists. We're now going to go to the lightning round. So we're going to put all your faces up on the screen. We hope to go through a number of questions uh, in the remaining about six or seven minutes that we have left. Lacey, we're going to come to you first, just so you know. Uh, the question is, is there a list of disinfectants that are either approved or recommended to be used? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, that is not my subject matter expertise, but I know there is a list, and we will include that in the in the hyperlinks that we send to Paulette. Great, thank you, uh, Chris. Let's go to you. There's a question coming in, uh, phrased a number of different ways. About how are you planning to put the plexiglass to work? Are you planning to put it on the floor in between the booths? Are you how are you planning to use the plexiglass in your environment? Uh, so originally I bought it in a panic um, because I, I, I was like, plexiglass, that's something I should just buy a bunch of because maybe I could use it. So my original thought was to use it. I'm sitting at a, at a tall booth here and that's, that's the plexiglass right there. So my original thought was to use it between these booths right here and then I could have a barrier and then I could use potentially more seating, but I have sort of changed my mind and at least through the first phase, I don't have uh, an intended use for it. I may uh, I, I may put it up like at the host stand, um, something like that, just to, to, to add to protections. Um, but I have 12 sheets of plexiglass and I'll figure out what to do with them later, I suppose. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Pam, we're coming your, your way. This question is phrased a number of different times in there. And so I'm gonna try to combine it. Is creating a plan mandatory for all restaurants and bars prior to reopening or only if there's a complaint? Uh, it is a requirement. So everybody has to have a plan. And again, like it's based on that phase two document that you brought up first. So if they just went through that uh, and made their plan based on those points, that could be their safety plan. But yes, it has to be written. Great. Susan, coming to, coming to you, this question is asked uh, in a number of different ways as well. 
but simply, is it mandatory to have to wear a mask at the work environment? My understanding is at this point in time, in this phase, it is mandatory for the employees to wear the masks. Uh, and not, not, I don't think it's mandatory for the customers and, and uh, uh, Lacey might correct me on that, but I believe that the uh, actual is that, that the employees, yes, they must wear a mask while they are working. I will add one caveat on that. There are some people who have uh, medical conditions for which wearing a mask could be uh, problematic. And at that, that then puts them into that high risk employee category. And you may need to find a way to work with them uh, in, a, in a fashion where they could work without having the mask on the entire time they're working. Stacey, did you want to pick up on that? Uh, thanks. Um, masks are not required for the public and for customers. They are strongly encouraged and uh, in just generally in any public space. And I believe that even in the governor's um, requirements, they encourage restaurants to encourage their customers to wear masks when not seated at tables and eating. Thank you, Lacey. You know, maybe Chris, we'll start with you on this question, maybe go to Susan next, but what advice are you giving to your employees who are worried about the environment, worried about either catching COVID or dealing with customers? What's the advice that you're giving to your, to your employees on your team? Well, I'm, we're doing what we can to sort of, uh, to sort of, reassure them that we're taking safety precautions and safety steps. Um, we're also gonna have pretty limited hours. So the amount of staff we had before, we, we just don't have the available hours. We're gonna have just less staff on. Um, and so that's a, that's a little bit reassuring. Um, we're actually, they're, they're outside right now, spaced out because we're having a staff meeting here in a little bit to kind of talk about what the next steps potentially are. Um, that's part of what I was doing was setting chairs out uh, at, a, at a safe distance. So we're just going to go through steps with them, answer questions. Um, they, we've reached out to say, do you want to work? Um, we will find work for you if you want to work. Um, if you don't want to work right now, we don't necessarily have a ton of hours. So we can kind of uh, set the schedule based on the people that want to work and the people that are a little bit more concerned. Is that help at all? It does, Chris. Let me stay with you for a quick second. You talked about that outdoor area and you, you've got some space outside. Can you talk about how, how's that factoring into your plans as you go through phase two and phase three and on to phase four? Yeah, so at, uh, here at Well 80, we have a uh, we have an alleyway patio uh, and we have four picnic tables out there that are we're able to space six feet apart. So we'll be able to use that. We also have a sidewalk um patio that's that I, i'm still a little bit unclear how we're going to be able to use that um i'll have to get clarification from uh from department of health or lni or whoever on that um we've thought about moving a couple of two top tables out there um the, the one thing i don't want is to have it just flooded with people that that's a concern so Thank you, Chris. Uh, a question's come in regarding the ability to purchase PPE off the recovery, off the rebound and recovery website. That is open to any business, any size of company. Yes, uh, you're welcome to go on there and, and match make for PPE you might need along the way. Uh, we're at the top of the hour. I want to thank our panelists. We've got a great group of content today. 
reminder that if you want to share this with someone, uh, the great way to do that, it'll be on our Facebook page tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Just simply like the Facebook page. Uh, we couldn't do this without the support of, of great members like Kaiser Permanente. So I want to thank Kaiser Permanente for helping make this be possible. And next Wednesday, we won't have the webinar at this time because we have our first virtual all day uh, spring meeting taking place. And you can register for that. It's open to all of our members, complimentary due to the great support and sponsorship of our members here at AWB at www.springmeeting.com to register for it. Uh, I would end by saying a great reminder for you and your employees is to look at the reboundandrecovery.org website that we launched. And I would end by saying, go to work and go home. Be safe, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Our next employee resources webinar is in two weeks. That's because next week, Wednesday, is our spring meeting virtual event. The day starts at 8 a.m. and goes till 6. Register at springmeeting.com. Then, on June 10th, the series returns with a look at trade and economic impacts. To register for this or any of our upcoming webinars, go to awb.org and click on events.